Um, so, hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into uh, John chapter 15 this morning. And what we're doing is we are um, we're going through this series we're calling The Upper Room. And it's, it's literally just that. It's Jesus in the upper room with his disciples before he goes, returns to the Father. And these are um, his last words, his last instructions to his disciples. They've, they've been with him through so much. They've seen so much. And now he's gathering them together and saying, okay, before I go, like, this is what you need to know. This is what I want you to experience and see in me and hear from me. And um, as we come into John chapter 15, I am, I am pretty convinced that there are no more important words in the whole Bible than these. It's a big statement. I'll probably say it about another passage at some point later too, but I just feel like this, this section is so, so vital, and it, it is potentially so life-changing, and these words have been so good for me for a long time um, as Jesus talks about a vine and branches and, and him, his desire to bear through, fruit through us. So let's start. I'm going to go just a couple verses at a time here in, in John 15. And you guys can, Nate, you can kick me off back there when you can. Um, I'm not clicking very well this morning. So uh, verse 1, John 15, he says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Okay, so that's all we need to do to start this off. Jesus, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He is, um, Jesus has spoken many parables uh, in his time on, on earth, his ministry. Here's one he's giving just specifically to his disciples as he gathers them together, and this one is so huge. Now, we've seen already, I mentioned this um, a couple weeks ago, Jesus is getting into that um, sort of like potentially blasphemous territory from time to time, especially in John, where he is, John, John is pulling these statements out that Jesus makes where he says, I am. Like he's claiming, I am. That's God's name. It's Yahweh in the Old Testament. That's where we get the term Yahweh. God telling Moses, I am that I am. This is who God is. And so when Jesus will say these statements sometimes, I am, and everyone's kind of holding their breath for a second, and then he'll say, I am the good shepherd, you know, like everyone, oh, all right, all right, but it's kind of, here he is, I am the true vine, and so he's claiming, I believe, this divinity, he's claiming this connection to God, but he's defining it now like this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, so we're drawn in to Jesus in this new way, we're invited to see Jesus now in this new way, and this is so important. Now, the vine and, and vine dresser thing, this becomes, I think, a really helpful way for us as modern-day Christians to look at our relationship with God. But to the, to the disciples, to the to Jewish audience that would have heard this at first, th this, these words, this idea of Jesus being the vine would have conjured up a whole lot of passages in the Old Testament. And this was a familiar imagery. In fact, we saw some of this... Uh, in the summer and fall of this last year, we went through the book of Isaiah. And we saw in Isaiah chapter 5, God is explaining Israel is his vine. He's talking about how he's the vine dresser. Israel is my vine that I've like planted and I've, I've made this vineyard. You, my people, are the, this vineyard. So Israel is the vineyard of the Lord. It comes back in Jeremiah 2. It comes out in Ezekiel 15 and Ezekiel 19. It comes out in Hosea 10. So there's constant references back to God is a vine dresser. 
and his people Israel are this vine, this thing that he's planted in the world. And it's hugely significant because it's, it's God is working in this world. From day one, God has been working in this world. He created a garden and he put Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, Adam and Eve rebel, humankind rebels, but God is constantly reaching out to his people. And the key way in the Old Testament that we see God working to reach his people is he takes Israel and he plants them like a vineyard, like a vine in the midst of this world. And this is who I'm going to work through. I'm going to work through these people by planting this vine, Israel. I'm going to reach the whole rest of the world around and they're going to come and they're going to experience the fruit of this vine that I am planting, that I'm investing in. The problem with Israel as the vine is we know that they were kind of a bad vine most of the time. And there were some good chapters in there, and I literally mean like chapters. There's like some highlights, some good points. Um, but all of these passages I mentioned about Israel as the vine, um, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 15, 19, the, these are all warnings where God is saying, I planted you to be my vine, to be my vineyard, but you've gone so far from that. I planted you to produce fruit in this world, but you're, you're, you're growing like crazy. You're growing in all these bad ways. And so the vine is constantly for Israel this reminder of, I've planted you to be something good, and you keep wandering off. And so what I love about what Jesus does is he gathers his disciples together. I mean, he, he loves them, washes their feet in humility. He clearly has a task for them. He's just talked in the preceding chapter about how he's sending his spirit to empower them so they can do the things that God wants done in this world. But in the midst of it, Jesus now says, okay, but listen, I am the true vine, right? Israel was supposed to be the vine of the Lord, but they kind of failed in that. So Jesus is saying, I am the vine. I'm the true vine. I'm the one that God really is planting. And so Jesus is sort of putting himself out there and saying, you know, everything that Israel was supposed to be in this world, that's ultimately me. I'm here as an Israelite, as a Jewish person, to embody that and be everything that God intended, the true vine. And now you're going to get to see what God is really doing in this world. To me, it's such a great reminder that, man, God is working, right? God planted a vine in this world to grow and to work. This is how God's working. And so he was doing it with Israel, and now it's Jesus saying, you want to see what God is doing in this world? It's me. He's planted me in this world. Everything that God wants to do in this world is going to go through me. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And so this whole, this whole passage, all it's going to do is talk about a vine, it's going to talk about branches, and it's going to talk about fruit being born. And as we, as we think of those three things, the vine, the branches, and the fruit, I mean, that enca encapsulates everything that God wants to do in this world. I would argue this metaphor is so sweeping, there's nothing God's doing in this world that doesn't look like a vine and branches and, and grapes growing on these vine, the branches attached to the vine. So Jesus throws this out there. Man, this is what God is doing in the world. He's doing it through me. I am this vine that is planted. And now he's going to expand it into the branches here. So verses 2 and 3. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you, were, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So Jesus is the vine, God is the vine dresser, and the branches are who? Us. Good. We are the branches. Now, I love this illustration. It's beautiful. It's amazing. The thought of, of everything flowing through these, these branches and everything else. Um, but I will just acknowledge that that first verse there is a little bit depressing, isn't it? Because what's the best 
possible outcome for a branch in this section that he mentions here. Best possible outcome is a branch that gets pruned, right? There's no, there's no unpruned branch in this whole thing. There's a branch that gets taken away, and there's a branch that gets pruned. And that's all there is. So Jesus is the vine, God's the vine dresser, and we're the branches. And these branches are either going to be barren and no fruit whatsoever, in which case they're simply removed and cast aside. Okay, we don't need this branch. It's not doing anything. Or the branch bears fruit and it gets pruned. Because it's, it's there to be attached to the vine. It's there to accomplish a purpose. It's there to bear fruit. And so the whole thing is, okay, here comes this pruning. Pruning is the best option we get. And, and why? Like, what, what is the purpose of pruning a vine? The thing, the thing with vines is they are amazing at growing, okay? If you, if you water it, you fertilize it, vines know what to do, and they just grow. And they're great at just producing a whole lot of growth. The thing that vines that are really bad at is growing in the, such a way that it's very healthy and orderly and produces the maximum amount of fruit in a way that people can come in and pick those grapes. So vineyards look like a bunch of vines growing and then people coming in and making sure they grow in the right way, training those vines, making sure that the branches are going in the right places, making sure that you can pick off, maximize the fruit and pick that off because the point of the vine is the fruit that it bears. And so really the pruning is about saving the vine from its own like excessive energy, like taking the vine and trying to channel its energy into bearing maximum fruit rather than just growing in whatever wild way that it goes. Branch, like vines can grow in such a way that it actually like blocks the sun from the rest of the plant and it can kill itself off if it just kind of goes wild and gnarly and everything else. And so the idea is, man, the, the pruning comes and helps the branch be the best version of itself, the most fruit bearing version of itself, maximum it. And so Jesus is calling and he's saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you're a branch that's attached to me and you're doing good, you're going to get pruned. You're going to see that pruning come. There's things in your life that you're going to see where you're just growing like crazy and God's going to come in and say, okay, I want to remove this from you. I want to pull this away from you. And, and it feels like I can't imagine what it is to be a vine constantly getting clipped. But the idea is it can't feel great to have this stuff pruned, but it's going to make me more maximized for who I am. And I think that that is, man, that is a great and accurate analogy of what the Christian life feels like to me. It's like I'm doing great. I find life in the Lord. I feel all this growth. And then God is constantly doing things in my life that are painful, that are frustrating, that are never the way that I fully intended. And I see, if I look back on the big picture, I see God is doing something big. So the pruning. Now, what's interesting here is in verse 2, he talks about pruning. And then verse 3, he talks about, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It feels like a weird connection. What we don't see is actually he's using the same word. So in English, it feels like two different words, pruning and clean, right? Um, but in, in the Greek that it's written in, it's the exact same word. It's a verb form. He's like, he prunes. And it's the same word that's used for already you are clean. And he's basically saying, you, like, God prunes the branches, but hey, listen, if you're in me, you've already been pruned. Like, it's the same idea, and it's kind of like the, the, the connection, I guess, is kind of you're clearing away, you're cleaning it, you're making it what it should be, the same word. And so the, the idea is, and, and Jesus has said this already um, in, uh, in chapter... 
13, he talked about how the disciples are already clean through the word that he's spoken. I think the idea is this. There is essentially this pruning to us, this cleansing that has to happen to us. And so there is an initial pruning that we encounter, and the disciples are already here. Already you are clean. Already you're pruned. The initial pruning looks like this. God comes, and he, um, he speaks a word to us. He shows us who he is for the first time ever. And, and we see in that, okay, he's coming, and he sees all of this excess, all this stuff in our life that we're spending our energy on, and he pulls it aside. So, so for me, I grew up like a great Christian kid, like perfect Christian bubble. There were hardly any cracks or flaws in that whole thing. And I grew up in that environment and did great. Like it was, it, I have like, my parents did a phenomenal job and my Christian community did a phenomenal job. But for me, it was going off to college and it was, it was having to kind of wrestle with some of this stuff for myself. And it was um, people that got me connected to Jesus through scripture for myself. And I didn't appreciate the distinction at the time. Uh, prior to that, I, I had no idea, but it was people that were just saying, you can read and understand the Bible for yourself. And it was me just like reading. And it was God like meeting me in those times of reading. And I was, I was starving. I was hungry for it. And so I was just filling myself with the word of God. And so that was happening. And then on the side, I remember distinctly a couple of moments where I started wrestling honestly with God for the first time in my life. And for me before, it was like my parents, my pastor, my teachers, all in this Christian bubble told me everything that was right and true and all, everything that was harmful. I believed them like I had no reason to doubt them. And so I was on that path. But for me, it was that first time of I was soaking in God's words for the first time in my life. And then I was also beginning to wrestle and speak honestly to God. I think prior to that, my prayers had probably been pretty... Um, I don't know, just weak, just weak little prayers that a good Christian boy would pray. And I remember a time I was just, I drove off into the countryside and I remember just like pulling my car to the side and I was like yelling at God. Like, and, and I look back and it's kind of embarrassing. Like I had, was a privileged little Christian kid. What did I have to be angry with God about? But I just remember that frustration and I remember there was like this breakthrough as I got angry with God for the first time and it was sort of, I realized afterward, the fact, it was sort of a prayer where I'm telling God exactly how I actually felt and so all I'm trying to say here is this whole thing was this process of realization where Jesus, I think, made himself real to me. And, and he became to me in that moment, I think, a real enough person that I was able to push back against him, to see that he wasn't just a concept. He wasn't just something to believe in. He was a person and I could push against him. And so I think in that moment, what happened is I was, I was yelling, there were tears, and I had this breakthrough where I believe God was just showing me all these things in my life that I thought were great, I thought were fine. I thought we're worthwhile. And he was saying, okay, this sin issue over here, I'm pruning that. Let go of it. You don't need it anymore. This good pursuit you have over here, this, this identity as a good Christian kid, you can let go of that. You don't need that. And so there was this pruning, I think, that happened as I was wrestled with God, as he made himself real to me. And it was the first time in my life where I just sort of stood before God and I said, like submission to him, Lord, you know what my life should look like way better than I know what my life should look like. It was the first time I had recognized that. And it was this big, huge, huge changing moment in my life. Then, then I think, so, okay, so Jesus is saying the good fruits, um, the good, the good vines, the good branches, sorry, um, bear fruit and they're pruned. So I think there's that initial pruning that happens when we encounter Jesus. But I think there's also, he's saying, an ongoing pruning. So for the disciples, already you've been cleaned or pruned, right, um, through, through the word. So they're, like, they've already been pruned, but now he's saying, I think there's this ongoing pruning that always has to happen in our lives. Because I'm, I'm not too embarrassed to tell you 
that I did not become perfect in that moment, and I have not just done everything that God wanted me to do, and I haven't been graded, always discerning, like, what the next step is, and all that kind of stuff. So there's this constant pruning that has to happen, and I think that's just literally what the Christian life is. I think that's what Jesus is calling us to expect here, because there's this connection to him that we have, but constantly there's this ongoing need for reform. There's this ongoing need to let go of some of the things that we've held tightly to, and to constantly come back to Jesus in in submission to say, what do you want for me today? What do you want from me this year? What do you, like, what can I let go of? What can I pursue? And that is a constant process. And so there's this pruning that happens. And I think the key is for us to just say, like, to step back and just ask ourselves the question, am I open, like, at any time? And am I open at any time, regardless of whether it makes sense to me or not, to God redirecting and pulling something out of my life? Even if I don't understand why, even if I don't agree, am I open to that? And I think that is where God's pruning comes in and, and makes us healthy again. Okay, now he gets into, I think, the most important concept here. This is in verses 4 to 6. So, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus uses the word abide, okay? And he starts in verse 4, but then he goes on to use the word abide 11 times, okay? So in this chapter, he uses the the term abide 11 times. And so I'm just going to tell you, like, pastor trick, that means it's super important, okay? So abide 11 times, abide, abide, abide. He's saying this, this is super important. And so what does it mean to abide? This is something I have honestly not given that much serious thought to prior to this week. And I sat down and I thought, how do I explain what abiding means? And I thought... You know, I've never really thought about it that much myself. And so I've been wrestling this week over what does it mean to abide? So I think it means, um, it's, it's maybe an older word, I don't know, but it, um, it refers to things like dwelling, right? Like when you're, the best example I have is uh, the Big Lebowski. I know like a third of you were thinking that. The dude abides, okay? It just means he, he lives and he just is, you know? And so it's, it's a kind of a dwelling um, type, of a, type of a word. So dwelling, living, remaining, staying, abiding just means like you are, you're kind of inhabiting or dwelling in a space. And so Jesus is asking us, abide in me. It's in English, at least, abide is related to the word abode, like a a home, a place, right? And actually, Jesus uses it this way in chapter 14. He talks about how, like, if uh, in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him. And he says, we will come to him and make our home with him. We will make our home with him. That, That make our home is the same, again, same Greek word as abide. Like, it's the same, um, it's like connected, the the ones, the verb form, one's the noun form, but it's the same thing. So make our home with, live together with, like that's what Jesus is saying, basically saying, live with me, come and like dwell in me. And he's, and he's giving it like both directions, like abide in me and I will, and I abide in you. Like it's a mutual living type of a thing. Okay, so let me, this is how I got myself to kind of, I think, a better understanding of what abiding actually means now. So I'm going to throw out some scenarios, and, um, and I want you guys to, like, answer back, okay? So we're going to be charismatic by the end of this, all right? So picture your family, okay? You're in your house, okay? Your, your family, your roommates, whatever it is, okay? And you're together in your house, all right? And then I come up, and basically I come to you on occasion, 
and I ask for things from you, right? You give me things, maybe I, you know, buy something from you, interact with me. What am I to you if that's our situation? You're in there with your family, with your household, and I come on occasion and ask for things or I buy something from you. What am I to you? What's my relationship? Like a customer, something like that, okay? Yeah, so, so we're not in that abiding territory yet, right? I'm like a customer or whatever, okay? Let's say that I um, interact briefly with you and your family every time we happen to cross paths somewhere. What's my relationship to you in that situation? Acquaintance, that's literally what I put down. You guys are awesome. Let's say I drop in maybe like once a week or so and spend a little bit of time with you guys. What's my relationship to you then? Okay, like a friend probably, yeah, nuisance is what I heard too, and that's... <laughs> Uh, not if it's me, but if it's somebody else, I can totally understand. <laughs> Let's say that you're with your family, and I inhabit the same spaces as you, but there's not a lot of conversation. What am I to you then? Okay, like a roommate. Yeah, I'm going to say like a roommate, yes. And then let's just say that I am an active, actively involved in every area of your life, including conversations, including meaningful time spent quietly together. What would I be to you then? Like a family member, right? A family member, and I would say an abider, a dweller, right? I'm a member of the family. I'm part of it. And I think for me, this has helped me process. Okay, when Jesus says, abide in me, what is he inviting me into to do, right? Is he inviting me to come to a Sunday service on occasion and, and ask God, please, like, would you work in my life? I'm going through a hard time. Like, is that what it means to abide? No, I, I think he wants that of us, but I think that puts us a little more in that customer category, doesn't it? Is he asking us to come attend on services and connect with Jesus here in this space and have a great little interaction with him and then go about it the rest of our days. I, I think he wants that from us, but I don't think that is what it means to abide in him, right? I think that makes us kind of in that acquaintance category with Jesus. And does he want us just to have, like, come and spend time with him and let it be meaningful, but it's infrequent and there's lots of spaces in between? He wants that from us, but I think it's not there enough. I think that puts us in that friend category, which is huge, of course, right? It's huge. But Jesus is calling us and inviting us into something more. And I think the space that I have lived a lot of my life is in that roommate category with God, where if you think about it, I mean, I spend so much time in holy places around holy things with holy people, right? And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm here, like more than most of you are, I'm here, right? And I'm in this space where we worship God and where we talk about him. I'm, I'm here in the word of God and I'll read it, right? I'm having conversations with God's people. And so there's all of this space that I inhabit that is good Christian, Jesus-filled space, right? But if I'm not connecting, if I'm not interacting, if it's not seeping down into somewhere deeper, then I can be sort of like a roommate with God. And I think the invitation that Jesus giving, is giving us is abide with me, dwell with me, be with me, live with me, be part of the family with me, which means we're around him a whole lot, but it means, man, it's more than just that roommate, like, okay, we inhabit the same places, we say hi here and there, we're on good terms. No, it's something different. It's something about, like, I think of the way I am with my daughters. I think about the way I am with my wife. There's an intimacy. There's conversations. There's depth. There's mutual care about what's happening in each other's lives. There's intentionality. And there's a whole lot of silence, right? But it's quality time. It's meaningful. And, and so abiding in Jesus is this call to just have this deeper, deeper connection with Jesus, this intentionality, this purpose, this regularity that isn't going to blow our minds all the time, but I think it's going to be big for us. And so Jesus says, 
in the beginning of verse 4, abide in me and I in you. And I've been thinking through, what does it mean? Because that is so interesting how it's mutual, isn't it? Abide, so Jesus is saying to us, abide in me and I in you, right? There's, he, we are abiding with him and he is abiding with us. So what are the two directions of that? Honestly, I don't know and maybe it's speculating too much, but I feel like when I think abiding with Jesus, I think of, man, just quality times of just resting in prayer with the Lord, coming to him, spending time with him. I think of that kind of a thing. I think of being mindful of Christ, like abiding, living with him. It's like being mindful of him all the time. It's, it's, it's often in prayer, and it's even just when I'm not praying, I'm thinking about him. I think it's, it's about the, our theology made practical and made personal, right? In the stuff of everyday life, it's kind of, I'm trying to live my life as conscious of him inviting as much of his input into my life as I possibly can. I, I feel like that is so much of what it means to abide in Jesus. And then when he says, and I in you, so he's going to abide in us, what does that mean? I, I think it means that, that offering of ourselves to him and just saying, like, Jesus, come live in me, right? We, we all know what it means to, like, invite Jesus into your heart is a phrase we use all the time. What does that actually mean? I think it's saying, God, just come live in me, right? Live through me. Like, this is, this is, this is my body. You've given it to me. Would you live in it? And would you then interact with the world around me through my body, through my life? through the things that I do. And so that, that mutual abiding, there's an offering up of myself and saying, Lord, move through me, work through me, influence me, use me for the people around me. And it's also us just sitting and saying, Lord, I want more of you. And that I think looks like quality time, time that we set aside, time that we spend. It's also moments that we redeem where we're, we're waiting and you, you learn not to plot your phone instantly. You're waiting for something. And so you take that time to focus on Jesus. You're in a hard situation. And so you pray to him, things are good. And so you're thanking him. I think that that abiding just looks like a constant thing, like a relational thing. And here's what he says. As we think of the vine and the branches, in verse 5, man, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, again, it's mutual, he it is that bears much fruit. And then he says this huge statement, for apart from me, you can do nothing. What do you guys think that nothing means in the Greek? means nothing, okay? <laughs> Apart from me, you can do nothing, okay? And I found myself asking this week, do I actually believe that? Do I actually, when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, if, if, if you're in me and I'm in you, you're going to bear so much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing, and then I stop and I think, how many things am I actually trying to do apart from Jesus? And I think if I'm honest, there's kind of a lot. You know what I'm saying? And God redeems and God works and God like takes things that are my own muddled mess and he uses them to good purpose. But how many things do I try to do apart from God? How many of my parenting moments am I trying to do because this is what makes sense to me in this moment? How often am I praying about not just my child's future and not just their health and everything else, but how much am I praying, Lord, please use, like work through me as a parent, as a, as a, as a branch to bear fruit in the life of this child, like, work through me for that. How, how much am I, like, I'm, I'm going to meetings, I'm talking to people, I'm interacting with my neighbors, like, how much of our careers and all these things, how much of it are we trying to do apart from Christ? And not, I'm not talking about just baptizing it with an occasional prayer, right? Like, here's my career, I'm doing this thing, Lord, would you bless it, right? Just a quick little sprinkle baptism on the thing we're just doing. No, like, how much are we trying to do apart from Jesus? And so I want us to 
take so seriously this invitation to abide in Jesus, to be connected to him like a branch in a vine, just so deeply connected to him. And then recognize, man, what am I attempting apart from Jesus? Because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And if we took that seriously, it would change so much, I think, about how we live our lives. Now, here's, here's what Jesus is giving us. This is just a picture of a vine. This is the whole thing. It's a vine, there's branches, and there's fruit. This is the whole thing. A vine is a living thing. These little, these little branches are connected to it. The branches only live because the vine is living, right? That, that fruit is only on these branches because the vine is pulling all this water and these minerals up through, right? And there's photosynthesis that happens, and there's a lot I don't understand, but it all comes because the vine is connected to the ground, and it's working through the vine out into the branches, and it's, it's producing this fruit. Like, that is what it is as a living thing. And I've been struggling a little bit this week as I try to think, okay, if I, I am a branch and I'm connected to a vine, what does it mean for me to be connected to the source in Jesus like that? How, like, how does this come alive? How does this feel real to me? And I feel like this has been hard for me to grasp because I'm not a vine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm literally not a vine. So I don't know what it is like to feel disconnected or whatever. But I, here's the human analogy for this, okay? Um, this is not brilliant. It's just the human analogy. I am starving right now, okay? I haven't eaten any food today at all. I've drinking some coffee. It's not a good combo. But I am, I am, I'm hungry, okay? And that happens because I need a constant source of energy, right? I mean, this is what a vine and a branch is, right? It's flowing all that energy and that food from the vine into the branch, and that's what it needs to live. So we as humans don't know what it's like to be branches, but we do know what it's like to be hungry. And and so when we go for a long time without water or without food, our bodies start to shut down a little bit, right? They start to complain first. That's what's happening right now. They complain and they're trying to speak like, and so it's just kind of this like reminder of, okay, you got to eat food. You got to eat food, right? Your body won't let you forget that you need to eat food. You need to drink water. And so there's this constant sense of, okay, I will literally die unless I, you know, probably I could make it through a little bit longer if I had to, but it doesn't feel like it right now. Like I, you will die if you don't get some food and everything flowing through you. And that, that's the branch thing, right? The branch, man, it can't live unless it's connected. And interestingly, Jesus uses this hunger analogy. Like this is what he uses to talk about fasting. That's what fasting is. I know we don't talk about fasting that often. I know we don't do it that often. Um, but it is one of these great Christian practices that is so important because what it is, is it's saying like some, at my worst, I think of fasting like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to eat. And when you look at me, see how much I'm suffering and how hard this for, is for me and then reward my suffering for your sake by doing what I'm asking you to do. Like, that's, that's a pretty common view of fasting, but it's not really, I think, what it's intended to be. I think what it's intended to be is it's this way of involving our bodies in the prayers that we're making to God. And we're coming to God and saying, Lord, I need you to act in this way. I need you to work. I need to be close to you. And every time my stomach is grumbling, I'm just saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, I'm starving. I'm, I will die eventually without food. But even more than that, I will die if I'm cut off from you. And so, Lord, draw me close to you. This is my need for you. Would you please be my spiritual food? Would you be my spiritual strength? That is the reminder that comes in fasting. And I think this is exactly um, what Jesus is trying to tell us about this whole thing. This, this whole reminder is stay connected. Like you, spiritually, we can go for a while without feeling like we're disconnected from the vine, but it has to be there. We don't function unless we're connected to Jesus. 
So I actually grew up with, um, on, like, on a vineyard, and I'm using that word a little loosely. We had an acre of a vineyard, okay? So when I was in, like, junior high, you guys were, like, riding bikes and playing video games, and I was helping my dad plant a vineyard, okay? And so we did the whole thing. We planted little baby things, and we fertilized, and the whole thing, they grew up and whatever. And, um, and then summer days, man, my, uh, no, let's see, it wouldn't be summer. It was like in, this, in the early spring, I want to say. Winter or early spring, we would have to prune the grapes, okay? So um, my dad loves it. He lo- like Work is his recreation, and so he just assumed that that was the case for us too, right? Who wants to go play and do stuff? So we would go out and we would prune. And so I, like, I've actually had experience of like, pruning vineyards and everything. And one of the things that happened to me on a few occasions, but I learned quickly here, is you know, you're pruning, and I don't know why my dad trusted me with this, because the vines grow and everything, but I, um, I would cut off some, like, pretty key branches, you know? Because you're just, like, going, and I don't care. I'm, like, a, you know, teenager, and just... And then you're, like, oh, shoot. Like, I just cut off that one, and it goes all... Like, this is the, one of the main things. Like, I should not have pruned that, right? And so what do I do as a, as a wise teenage person? Move on to the next plant. Just leave it sitting there, right? Okay, it's fine. <laughs> Just go on to the next one. Like, and then what you see, of course, if you're thinking about this, what you see is you come back a little bit later and you have a whole big dead branch like on the vine. And it's not like my dad doesn't know that I did a horrible job of like pruning this thing, right? Because vines or branches on vines don't grow. They don't live if they're cut off. And I, this is what Jesus is saying here. Like he's saying, um, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I think sometimes that sounds really like daunting and heavy. But I think what he's saying is like, like if you're not bearing fruit, if you're basically this vine that's been cut, you've severed yourself from the thing, from the vine, and so you're going to begin to wither. And he's like, there, there's no use in a withered vine. You have to be connected to the whole thing. So the call for us is to be these good grapevines. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. The call for us is to be connected to the whole thing. So there's this great book. Um, one of my favorite books on ministry is called The Vine and the Trellis. And, um, and we've talked about it in here before, but what it, what it basically says is, okay, you think of a vine growing up, and there's all this life and everything else, and it does go wild and crazy. So it needs to be pruned, but also it needs like a trellis. And so every, any good grape uh, vineyard you see is going to have like posts, and it's going to have wires, and it's going to have this like uh, structure that the vine can attach to that you can help it grow along these lines and that's how it works and so the analogy that this author uses is that in ministry we have like a vine and we have a trellis the vine is the spiritual growth we experience okay it's the discipleship it's our connection to Jesus and so we find this spiritual life and then what what a healthy church does is it brings in a trellis it brings in some structure that helps us grow along the same lines together you know so for us it's things like gospel community or it's like nurture or it's like men's groups and so you have this structure that helps us see okay this is how we're going to focus this growth this is how we're going to do it together for a greater purpose and everything else but what this book argues is that often what we do in church is the trellis um, becomes the focus and we build these really big impressive trellises and you can read plenty of books and ministry on how to build an impressive trellis for your church and so what happens sometimes is we're not seeing the growth in the way that we want to in the vine itself we big these building we build these big impressive trellises and we feel like we've accomplished something it looks impressive but what's missing is the life in the vine And so Creekside, we're no different than anywhere else. We do need to build healthy trellises and everything else. 
But as I've been reading this passage, I keep praying, Lord, make us healthy vines. Like, make us healthy branches on you, the vine. Like, let's bring, let's see that growth, that growth coming. That, like, there is, man, there's so much that we can do as elders, as pastors, as ministry staff, everything else. There's a lot that we can do to try and help train our, like, our spiritual growth together so that we grow in the right directions and everything else. But one thing I can never do, they didn't teach us in seminary and there's no way I can do it outside of that, is cause a branch to grow that is not connected to the vine. It just does not happen. And man, I would love to see this be a year. Just, we came off of our build series not that long ago. We we're trying to reclaim our rhythms of what it means. What I want to see this year is for every single one of us to collectively and individually take ownership of the fact that, man, I am a branch that's connected to a vine. I have to be there. I have to be connected. And if we own that and if we keep that connection tight, where we're just saying, Jesus, you are the source. You are my life. You are, you are what God is doing in this world. I'm going to tie into you and I'm going to just live in, in that sort of outflow of what you're pouring through me. I mean, if we did that individually and collectively, if we did that, then man, I would love to have the problem of like, boy, let's get this trellis like a little bit better. It needs to get, like we have to, like I would just love to see that growth just flowing through us. And that, I mean, I'm just telling you, that is what has to happen. It just is what has to happen is all of us owning it. And, and I will be here to help you. Uh, Nathan will be here to help you. All of our ministry staff, all of our elders will be here to help you. All of our gospel community leaders, all of our small group leaders will be here to help you. But if that connection is not coming, um, we're just dealing with kind of dead things. We're just shaping dead branches. We're just moving things around to make it look like a living tree. And we need that connection to Jesus. It's the last couple of verses. He says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, I love this. This is how we prove to be his disciples. If we want to ask the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a good Christian? Like, what does God actually want from me? It's simply this. Prove to be his disciple by what? Bearing fruit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll bear much fruit and you'll prove to be my disciples. So that where does the fruit come? It comes if and only if, right, we are abiding in him, if his words are abiding him, in us. It, there's these if statements. If this happens, it only happens when we abide in him. It only happens when his word abides in us. That is all, the only way that fruit comes on a vine is that the vine works through the branches and produces the fruit. And he says, again, like we've saw this before too, um, like he keeps, he keeps saying these kinds of things. In verse uh, 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I, I, I've always been so wary of these statements because they're like these blank checks, you know? And how many times have we heard these words and we've prayed for the healing of somebody or we've prayed for, you know, financial stability or something and we pray in so much faith and then God doesn't answer that prayer and we're heartbroken and we begin to doubt, does prayer actually work? And so I'm so wary of these passages. But I think that God's saying it really clearly here. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. God is glorified in, in, in us bearing fruit on his behalf. Like that's literally what we're for. He is the vine. We're the branches. We're the branches so that we can bear this fruit. There are things God's wanting to do in this world. And so if we're connected, we're abiding, we have this healthy, flowing connection, relationship with Jesus, he says, if you're doing that, I mean, God is glorified through you bearing fruit. So if you're doing this, ask God whatever you desire and he's going to do it because we're going to be sitting there connected to him 
And we're going to be asking is, Lord, I want this person to know you. And, and so pray that. Pray it in faith and just know that is literally what God wants to do. Lord, take this, these like sinful um, tendencies away from me. Remove my selfishness from me. Help me to be a servant to other people. And he's saying, if you're connected and, and you're abiding in me and my words are abiding in you, ask it. Whatever it is, and I'm going to do it. Like these are promises from God because the whole point is God planted a vine. And that vine was Israel. Ultimately, that vine of Israel came to, to really root in Jesus. Jesus is the vine. He's what God is doing. We are the branches. We stay connected. And so there's this invitation for us to bear the fruit that God wants to bear in the world. And it's a beautiful thing. He wants to do it. He wants to do it through us. And so as we, as we kind of just close this part, um, I want us to kind of get into a little bit of a reflective time here. Um, and, uh, and I want to do it like this. So, so Jalise actually had um, put me on to this book from Jeremy Riddle. He's like a worship leader. He's written some of the songs that we sing. And um, he's got this book called The Reset that was so good for me. And what he was talking about is uh, worship music and how that's become an industry, how it's become kind of a culture, how it's become like a concert type of a thing, and how it's become like a source of celebrity, right? Like when I was growing up, you didn't know who like the people were that wrote, I guess, the hymns that we sang when I grew up. Like, but there's this whole thing that's grown up, and I see it as a small picture of what's happening in the overall church. And he warns us against kind of making church and making worship into anything that's not about abiding in Jesus. So this is what he says, and I think it's so appropriate. He says, never let worship become about anything other than Jesus, loving Jesus, glorifying Jesus. He says, currently, the greatest danger to the purity of worship is the worship of worship itself and those who lead it. When we allow worship to become about a worship leader, a song, a musical expression, a church growth agenda, a brand, an industry, a musical gig, a personal need for breakthrough, or any other agenda that is self-seeking or self-serving, anything besides ministering to Jesus, if we do that, we allow, it, um, we allow the life it carries to be trampled out of it. I think that is such a good reminder. Worship, as we know, like singing worship music is such a blessing, right? It's such a great way to connect with God. But he's saying we have this tendency to just make it about the people who are doing it or about what we feel when we do it or about what it does to grow our church if we do it right. And he's just saying it's got to come back to connection to Jesus. And I just, I want to use those words to just say, let's reflect and let's make sure that's who we are as a church. Like, what, what are we about? It, it's not about me. It's not about our elders. It's not about our pastors. It's not about our ministry team. It's not about our building. It's not about any of that. It has to be about, man, we are just a bunch of branches that are connected to a vine. And that's where our health is. Anytime we get away from that, anytime we see anything other than that as the big thing, the defining thing, the branding thing, the thing that makes us who we are, anything other than we're a bunch of branches connected to a vine, and God's using that to bear fruit through us to the world around us, then I think we've missed it, and we've got to reset, and we've got to come back. And so the question I want to leave you with is, are you ready for some pruning in your life? If we're going to be healthy branches, the, good, the best possible outcome is that God prunes us because we're bearing fruit. And so I just want to throw this out to you. If, if I'm talking about connecting with Jesus on a deep level, on a personal level, if I'm talking about that and you're like, yes, I want that, but I don't think I've ever experienced it before, I just want to invite you to that initial pruning. And I'm telling you, it's beautiful. I'm telling you, it's so beautiful to have that initial pruning, to just come to the Lord and say, 
there's so much I've been trying to hold on my own. There's so much I've been trying to accomplish on my own. There's so much that I've been living for, things that I know I can see are good and healthy in many ways, but also things that I know are just wrong and sinful and everything. I'm just going to invite you to, in this next time here, let's invite that initial pruning from the Lord where he comes and he cleanses you, he prunes you, he, he, he loves you, he made you to bear fruit in connection with him. And then I think for any of those of us that have had that initial pruning done before, let's just keep offering ourselves to the Lord. And so just saying, like, Lord, I'm in a new season, right? So much has changed in the last 15 months. So much has changed. Lord, I'm in a new season. Prune me. I want to be connected to you, and I want you to prune anything that, that should not be there right now for this season, and would you please work through me? And I think the call then is, let's abide in Jesus. Let's make our dwelling with him. Let's be part of that family with him. And um, that's something, man, I hope we do it today. I hope we do it tomorrow. I hope we do it all week long. I hope we do it for the rest of our lives. Um, but we're going to start right now with some time to abide.